0: who is a, are you a partner or what is it with Praxis 3? Uh, Principal. Yeah, Principal. Praxis 3, which is an architecture, purely architectural firm in Atlanta? Uh,
1: architecture, development, uh, mostly, yeah. yeah. We do some graphic design.
0: Too. And you're also, you work with the city of Atlanta for development issues, zoning issues, right?
1: Yeah, it's part of, part of what I do here. Um, Also, um, also uh, on the Impact Board. Impact Public Art Board. uh, Metropolitan Public Arts Coalition, Mm -hmm. which I figured out as
0: well. Well, I think you had done one of these uh, podcasts before, right, with uh, Karen Tosh's and uh, when we did the. uh, Uh, That was part of her exhibit. Right. But this time I I thought we'd just talk purely about mano and mano on uh, right. <laughs> development issues in Atlanta. We have a air conditioner in the background giving us the constant sussurration, so people will just have to, if JD can't take it out of the mix, with occasional siren, this will
1: right right. sound
0: like we're in the city. We are right on Peachtree Street right now. Um, but you've sort of been around to see Atlanta go through many changes so you graduated from Tech uh No. no. Clemson. Actually. Clemson. And yeah. then you but weren't you at Tech for a while? No no. Oh. Okay. For some reason I thought you you oh. can edit that out. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, my, my ignorance shows all over the place. So I don't know. Um, but you were involved with public domain uh, in the early years of I the I've actually been here
1: and after I graduated from Clemson and graduate school in 82. Oh, okay. So I've been here a while.
0: <laughs> so you and Carlos Tardios, I remember, used to do some stuff with yeah. public domain yeah, at some of did, the uh, early events. Some that, of the
1: state um, sets for uh, Story Music. music. been here so, yeah.
0: Right. So you've seen a lot of stuff going on with the Atlanta Architectural. Uh, community, you think things are well? Obviously, they're changing very rapidly. But do you think things are getting better? And what does better mean in terms of the Atlanta scene? And we talk about what that means. Uh,
1: if if bigger is better, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but not always. That's certainly not always. better.
0: Yeah. Um, people you know, always used to complain about the architecture, though, in Atlanta. Back, I remember, uh, you know, late '70s, or early '80s, well, people, about how horrible it was. People,
1: people still complain in, in Atlanta being. A, uh, Sunbelt city, there's there's a notion that architecture is uh, you know product and temporary, um, and that's that's still very much with us now. I think the general level of commercial architecture, whatever that is, is probably better than it was even a few years ago. Certainly, residential architecture, which the city had very little of, um, you know, five or ten years ago, right. has a lot of now. You know, uh, since the population of the inner city is growing pretty rapidly, right. is by and large, much better. That doesn't mean there's not the occasional really
0: right.
1: pretty awful thing happening. But
0: well, we have like, speaking, Renzo Piano with the with the high and uh, uh, Colatravo with the new. By the way, what's the status of the Coltravo? You program? know, I don't know you have to
1: go interview somebody at the yeah. symphony, but um, I, you know, I understand they it's three hundred million dollars in counting as, oh. as a budget, and they've raised about one hundred and ten, I think, oh. which is the main problem. I think they've actually changed the sites. It's now over though. Mm-hmm. Center Marta Station. Mm-hmm. So I don't know anything about it. I hope they build it. I think
0: uh, thing. Uh, Just as a side note, have you seen the Cobb Energy Center? The, uh, it's pretty neat. Hey, don't say too much bad about it because <laughs> you're going to talk about Cobb County.
1: <laughs> but it's good for Cobb County. <laughs>
0: Well, it's an unusual, it's a different kind of yeah. architectural style yeah. that is, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty cool. I think,
1: you know, I, I do think in many ways it's, it's kind of daring, and mm-hmm. you know, I haven't, I have to say, I've only kind of seen it from something expressway, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like the has worst enough. kind of critique, right? You know? But right. Uh, yeah. and I have to say that it has some ambition. I think it, you know, um, Kathy Fox's review of it, and that I probably would agree with that. I would think that it, it had once you put yourself into the league of having ambition. It's probably disappointing ultimately, Right. Yeah. but at least it has ambition.
0: Right. Put it that way. Yeah. Which is more than can be said for a lot of Atlanta architecture for a long time. Right. A friend right. of mine called it Taiwanese modern. You know, <laughs> Kleenex bot with some uh, 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 turquoise right. strips on it or something. You know, and that was basically the extent of it. Right.
1: And there, you know, there are a lot of one thing that's exciting. And Atlanta's always had one or two firms that were actually pretty. Um, I, just, I hesitate to use the word avant-garde. I don't even know what that means anymore. But a little cutting edge, you know, like uh, Mac and Merrill for so long. Right. Scotting and embrace is what they right. used to be called. Um, but now there are uh, several younger firms um, that are really doing innovative work, and I think that's kind of exciting. And who are some of those? Folks uh, Plexus R and D and Density and. A couple of others and probably not doing them, doing them justice. Are these
0: commercial, primarily commercial they're, they're firms? They're commercial firms. Commercial. You know,
1: they have small practices where the, the principals are usually teaching and practicing, but mm-hmm. they, they're actually, in the case of Plexus, um, they're actually doing their own development, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting, doing some townhouses and some mixed use that are pretty exciting, actually. Uh, and we, you know, uh, there are a lot of firms, I put in a plug for this firm, like this one, who are, are doing middle-of-the-road stuff and have, and have actively decided to uh, engage with developers that are, are trying to do things that are a cut or two above mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think there are a lot of firms that are, are doing that, and and most importantly, being allowed to do that by a more sophisticated. Uh, if I can say something positive about developers. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, by a more sophisticated development community. Mm -hmm. Again, not that they all are, not that everybody's doing great work, but I think generally speaking, it's better.
0: Well, you know, the Atlanta, I want to ask you, put this in the back of your mind, but what, for you, constitutes interesting architecture? But let's set that aside for a minute and talk about the developers, since uh, the Atlanta arts community oftentimes seems to be in an adversarial relationship with developers, and um, that seems to me... Not a good thing, but to some degree, it seems almost inevitable, given the heritage of art and and the right. relationship of architecture, well, architecture and development to large sums of money and the necessities right. of, of building as opposed to the necessities of being creative well, and know, thinking outside the box. Architecture
1: is funny, and it is a, it's very personal because we're creating the environment that all of us live in. Mm-hmm. Is also very expensive because it costs a lot of money to build buildings and they are products um, that developers build to make money. Uh, So it's very personal and also a a commercial capitalist product at the same time. And uh, to architects, other people's way of thinking, it's also an art form. Mm -hmm. And it's also the most public of all art forms, if you look at it that way. So you're in this very funny position where there are a lot of people that care a lot about it. Uh, for different, very different reasons, as an art form, as a place they live, right, uh, or as a thing to make money with, and right. those can be all three can be sort of diametrically opposed. Right. So
0: I saw a book uh, in the bookstore the other day. I can't. I made a note because I knew we were going to talk, and I, it was in the art section, architecture section, and I can neither remember the author's name or the title <laughs> of the book. but I remember the thrust of the book, and it was a polemic against. The idea of newness and a certain kind of stylistic innovation in architecture. Um, for example, the Frank Gehrys, the, uh, uh, maybe not, I guess the Pianos, the Calatravas, almost the whole panoply of what we think of as the creative architecture profession. It seemed to be kind of going against it, that, precisely for what you were saying, that contemporary architecture's emphasis on what it called front page architecture that is something that's like grabs your, and I love, you know how much I love Frank Gehry, you know, his stuff, but does he have a point in that about the livability, the gravity-free nature of these,
1: these architectures? No, you know, there's certainly avant-garde architecture that's absolutely terrible to live in, or terrible to even Mm -hmm. be around, sure, but there's a lot of really mediocre architecture that's also terrible to be in, and terrible to be around, you know, I I don't, I, I can't draw the lines that, that rigidly. There is a lot of uh, architecture with ambition, I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. whether it's from a star architect or somebody else maybe that's lesser known, but it has some kind of ambition, some it good, some bit bad, but at least it has ambition, and the ambition is to, like art, is to take you out of the norm and make you see things in a different way or make you feel space in a different way or see the city that you live in a different way. And I think that's generally positive. Now. Are they always great pieces of architecture art? No. Are they always great pieces of urbanism, which is a different mm-hmm. thing, do they contribute to a kind mm-hmm. of an urban fabric? No. But, you know, their failure rate is probably no worse than mm-hmm. the thing that has no ambition. So I, I don't really exactly buy. So
0: your you idea know, of interesting architecture would be architecture that has those the uh, capacities that you were talking about, a kind of a revealing a newness or revealing anew right. the, the space and the times in which you live. Yeah, I mean,
1: architecture, sort of unlike art, is, is always grounded in in function to a certain degree, and in, in making a place, in making a place for people to mm-hmm. live and at least to, to exist and anyway, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. And I think the most successful architecture can make something that's new and provocative and mm-hmm. potentially. That's um, interesting and stimulating. At the same time, be a good neighbor. Mm-hmm. Make a good urban place for people to live. Uh, or, you know, and not, you know, not, not do it. I lost my train of thought. But not, not make a good place and also be a stimulating piece of architecture. Mm-hmm. And be a, a, a well-functioning piece of architecture. Uh, for whatever that means in the particular given case. If you can do all of those things, I think that you have what I would consider a successful piece of architecture.
0: Well, you know, I'm, uh, in in terms of uh, artists, and let stick with uh, for a bit uh, about uh, artist critiques, which has to do, I think, with uh, overweening amounts of Money and ego involved in the development architectural process, and, and the, as opposed to the needs of of a creative community. Which um, I mean, Atlanta is in the is in the process of totally rebuilding itself, as it seems to do periodically. I like guess it's, it's destruction by fire, maybe a set of pattern that is continually right. reproducing itself through history, as sort of a reenactment of trauma, maybe. I don't know. I ain't <laughs> thought about that, but yeah. Well, hey, in you know, every,
1: every city of any size or wealth does recreate itself in, in a regular cycle, right. what we call the real estate cycle. Right. The thing about Atlanta, since it's in such a, such a growth cycle and has been for so long, that the, the things that may take other cities a hundred years seems to ha- seem to happen here in maybe 20 years. Right. And the cycle is so speeded up and the, the, the rate of growth is so great uh, until it's much more noticeable, Yeah, I kind of think, and well, a different animal for that reason. Well, we were also
0: talking about New Orleans and New Orleans as a site for artists who people love it, you know, even though it's a devastated city. I'm wondering sometimes if there's not a connection between that, I don't want to say devastation, but a certain abjection and the artistic mentality, not every artistic mentality, but or is that just a, a happenstance that because artists don't have much money, they need spaces that nobody wants. Of course, in Atlanta, everybody wants all the spaces. Now, which,
1: which used to not be the case. Which used to not <laughs> be, <laughs> be the Center case. The anyway, yeah.
0: So either that d- d- denotes that there will have to be a change in the artistic temperament, no longer the 19th century Garrett mentality turning into a cultural worker of some sort. Or how as an architect, how do you see that? Because obviously the number of spaces available to artists to create, they're no longer these little shoddy places that you could do what you wanted to do with. I
1: mean obviously these are huge complex issues that not only touch on architecture and the creative community but also on economics and everything else but you know from from my perspective which thinking about it in a physical way as architecture building cities um like New Orleans is fascinating because New Orleans is a is a place that's very supportive of of the non-normative Uh, It's a place that for years, because it really didn't have a very good economy, Mm -hmm. after the oil uh, bust in the 70s or 80s, it really didn't have much of an economy, it didn't even have much of a base for the economy. And really what's happened uh, post-Katrina is that Katrina, the devastation that Katrina wrought, kind of exposed the fact that New Orleans doesn't really have a very good base Mm -hmm. or a very good economy. other than the tourist economy, which is not right. really enough to support the city, right. um, you know, it, it fundamentally makes it because it's an open place and a cheap place. Fundamentally, makes it a good place for artists. Now, it's Certainly not the kind of place that every artist would want to be, because a lot of artists want to be in the most sort of hyped up, expensive places in the world, in like New York or right. LA or even San Francisco, um, for the energy that's there. Exactly. And for, you know, primarily, not to be cynical, but to, to really to, to, to the main reason that places like New York and LA are, are vital artists is that's where the arts marketing uh, right. and arts magazine center and is. Information. Magazines, information. exact Exactly. Galleries. The right. whole mechanism.
0: Well, I guess the question is, do you think that Atlanta, you know, inevitably, there's, and I do it myself, you know, an attempt to compare unconsciously or consciously to New York or to London or to Los Angeles or even Chicago. or even Detroit, for God's sakes. Um, so how do you think Atlanta fits in the panoply of, not architecture production, although you can, you can include that with our production, yeah, yeah. but but uh, the, the creative world, the artistic world itself? Um, what's your, as yeah. someone who's you know, in and out of this? You know, you,
1: you, you can answer this probably better than me since you've been so directly involved this mm-hmm. whole time and yeah. I haven't been as much, uh, particularly in the arts community, yeah. certainly architecture. You know, Atlanta is, uh, It's it's problematic in some ways in that it's neither a small accommodating place, sort of like New Orleans, right. or is it uh, a very large center of uh, arts marketing or mm-hmm. arts business. So it's that kind of middle ground. Yeah, another region of yeah. neither one thing and, or the other and it's, it's very peripheral to, say, New York. But it's not small enough to be dominated by a few great patrons Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. a few people in the community who surround themselves with other people like people Mm -hmm. in a kind of college town sort of mentality or you know small arts town. Um, Having said that, you know it's easy to it's easy to become um, I think see all the change and not know what to make of it and to to see. people who are increasingly affected by how expensive Atlanta has gotten, although it, it should be said that as expensive as Atlanta has gotten, it still is not nearly the level of a lot of places oh, yeah. uh, that are you know, twice as expensive, San Francisco, is possible. Impossible, you know, no. it, it, I love it, it's still possible for a person to, to find a place to live in Atlanta, whereas mm. if you go to San Francisco, you're going to make a living with five other people mm-hmm. you know, to, to right. have the same kind of lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Um, And Atlanta still does have that advantage, and Atlanta also has the advantage that's unique uh, of being the center of the region and the place that's always at least had the image of tolerance and acceptance of people that were different race, or gay, or, 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 or different in general, mm-hmm. not small town people. Atlanta's always, was a place for years where small town people that didn't fit in the South moved right. to Atlanta because it was a center.
0: And also the transportation hub uh, for, I don't know how many years running, still, I just yeah. heard recently. It's transportation is,
1: is, is still, the United States. you know, right. despite our prob- recent problems, it's still a, a business hub, it's still a place where people also come to get jobs, mm-hmm. and according to Richard Florida and other people, you know, it, it's still a, a pretty much a creative class mecca. Because it, it does have a unique blend of sort of lifestyle, which is still pretty green and mm-hmm. fairly easy, although it's harder than it used to be yeah. to get around. And uh, yeah. also, you know, Atlanta ha- does have sort of sometimes, despite itself, it has an arts community and mm-hmm. it has people that are interesting. It has a lot of interesting things to do, mm-hmm. uh, and in that way, it's unique.
0: Um, well, do you think for the region? You're right. This is something I've been thinking about and sort of including in these uh, podcasts. Uh, but the idea of is there, or should there, or can there be a, a regional architecture, a regional creativity, or as opposed to a global? I mean, globalism, and there, there are two radically different takes on globalism: one right, a wholehearted embracing of it, and the other one a wholehearted discounting of it. Uh, you know, the truth, I guess, is somewhere in the middle. There, I'm not sure, but. Um, is, would there, well, is there is a possibility of something called a regional southeastern southern aesthetic anymore? Because really, all of our ideals—I I realize that all of my kind of aesthetic ideals are not necessarily southern ideals, other than people like Faulkner, et etc., et And those were kind of modernist ideals; they weren't necessarily yeah, regional. I,
1: I'm, I'm not sure that in, in that sense, in the Eudora Welty, right. you know, even uh, Sam Mockby um, loves Sam Mockby sense. Um, that you know, I think. Sam was a very unique. And he really brought kind of high-style modernism and made it regional, but on some level... Declassified what, it, so to speak. Yeah, and, and the way of looking at it, it's still kind of high modernism. Yeah. It just has a lot of quirkiness to it. But, was,
0: but here's the thing, here's the great thing about Mockbee, which goes to this global regional thing, but in the class's perspective, Mach-B took what took what was considered to be uh, uh, upper-class aesthetic style you might say, well, right. there's nothing inherent to that, but in fact, that was the case. People who did very modernist divine oh, yeah, houses yeah, yeah. had lots of money. Primarily because it's very expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> so he took yeah. that and then did vernacular materials in a very vernacular yeah. place yeah. along the Black Warrior River in Alabama, for yeah. God's yeah. sake. Yeah, for the poorest. For the poorest of the poor. poor. The poor yeah. You know, yeah. and did it, which I thought yeah. was just an incredible thing, and the, and the people love it, apparently, you know, who are living in these, yeah. in these houses. which is, which
1: is these. interesting, actually. It's an interesting, interesting cultural so thing. So my question us. to
0: you is, why doesn't that happen more often? Now we have what's called target modernism, I guess, you know, which. It's a right. kind of a stylistic right. Right. modernity. Or not right. even call it avant-garde, but a stylistic avant-garde. But still, in architecture, there's still an extreme classist distinction, don't you think, between the Zaha Hadids, you know, who are designing these incredible buildings of the Frank Gehrys, and people like Sam Monby, who's really oh, yeah. an avatar of himself, yeah, I guess. That's, that's, that's that one many problem. That
1: none of the avant-garde, none of the people who are the star architects can really be afforded by anybody. Mm. They don't really do... You know, shopping centers. They don't do your typical condominium building. If they do, it's you know a four million dollar unit kind of building. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do art museums, which are one patron for that kind of thing. But how many art museums are there in any particular city? Two, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's one problem. You know, sort of providing uh, a good level of architecture, good solid architecture, much less you know provocative architecture for, for everybody and making and mm-hmm. making cities. Uh, you know, that's one kind of. Of, of new urbanism that, well, if, if you're going to build mediocrity, at least build it in an urban way. Right. If you're going to build this, you know, kind of one-off historicism, at least build it in an right. urban way. And, you know, I, I can see that argument. I'm not quite that willing to be that cynical or give up, but I, I can't see that argument, that even mediocre buildings should be at least urban and, and good neighbors.
0: Well, occasionally you do see in architecture magazines, you'll see a little contest or that will have little buildings and in some back pasture of somebody, you know, uh, what's the term for that? Not fantasies, but in the 19th century you had a lot of Kind of follies. Follies, yeah, follies, yeah. right. You should know about that. You're right, yeah. I'm a big fan of follies. <laughs> uh, the Fredonia follies. Uh, so my question is, why does that not, is, is, it a, is it a function of economics? No one who wants to spend that much time on something. You can still do vernacular materials. Or is there something more subtle, or are there zoning issues, or well, what's the deal there? Generally,
1: you know, it's, it's really a matter of economics. You know, to a large degree, you know the high museum. I don't really know how much it costs, but I, I would guess, looking at how big it is and how much it's spent on it, how much it it's spent on it, it was four, five, six hundred dollars a square foot. Not everybody can uh, afford that. Developers certainly can't make their bottom lines work out before what they pay for land, etc. In town.
0: Well, here's another, before you go into another. Let me ask you this: Is the stylistics of it, is the ideology of the vanguard inextric- in architecture inextricably connected to the floor cost, or per, per square foot floor cost? I mean.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, because they're exquisitely right. detailed buildings, they're hard to do on some level. They're at least they're, they're, the people who build them aren't used to doing them, so they charge more to do them. Right. Um, you know, making an exquisite piece of minimalism is you know, in a construction. It's right. very hard to do. It's very hard to do right, yeah. to do right um, as opposed to something with lots of trim and, and all mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. So that's. I mean, yeah, that's 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 an issue. On the other hand, I don't think that it's impossible. It was the whole original kind of impetus of, of magazines like Dwell, right. and that you mm-hmm. could do $80 a square foot modernism. Mm-hmm. There have been some excellent examples on the West Coast and, and San Diego and other places of doing, uh, in San Francisco even, of doing affordable housing and mm-hmm. housing for the homeless that was actually you know, pretty decent architecture. Now, part of that calculus, when you start looking at it, and there was a lecture here by David Baker who does a lot of that kind of stuff in San Francisco. Um, you know, we, we do affordable stuff here mm-hmm. we try to do what, the best we can with it and to, to, to make it architecture. But, you know, we have $80 a square foot to work with, maybe 100 um, you know, He was working with what he called affordable housing and he had 150 to $200 a square foot to work with it. You know, I'll never forget, uh, somebody after the lecture said, you know, how much did this cost? He said 150 square foot. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how we did it on that. And they said, well, you realize here the norm is for this kind of housing. Uh, for this class of housing, it's eighty dollars a square foot. <laughs> it's just totally taken aback. Well, how can mm-hmm. you do anything? How can you put a roof on it for eighty dollars a square foot? Mm-hmm. So, really, economy has a lot more to do with all this than than people sort of will, will sort of own up to. Now, having mm-hmm. said that, you know, I believe it's possible to do interesting things, to do good things on a budget, and that's part of that's part of what I try to do, and that's part of what we try to do here. Um, it's not easy. It's about the hardest, mm-hmm. you know, we'd much rather have a $500-square-foot budget. Oh,
0: yeah, sure. You right. know,
1: and we can draw whatever, build whatever we draw. But the challenge is to make something that's good, that's a good piece of, mm-hmm. of architecture. It's maybe even a provocative piece of architecture for $100-square-foot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it seems to me there's
0: also an inextricable connection with materials technology here. And if you think about Sam they used vernacular materials like uh, discarded tires and, right. and uh, well, felt and, and, and samples of carpet, you know. Of course, the other, thing, the other
1: thing about Sam Mockby is everything was built by free labor. Free labor, His right. students, you know, essentially. So Sam Mockby, in a way, and I love his, his work, and I love the work of the World Studio, but it's mm-hmm. unique in that they bring sort of high design to the masses and to a class of people, which is wonderful, but they do it by sort of doing it uh, on a non-capitalistic System mm-hmm. they do, the students mm-hmm. basically do the library for free. Mm-hmm. Materials are contributed. That kind of thing. Sam Moppy, to make a living, did do houses for wealthy people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, right. They right probably yeah. foot Yeah. yeah. It made.
0: So, do you think that vernacularism? What's that great book by uh, an architect on uh, the history of vernacularism in architecture? But do you think that has a place in the you know, consideration of architecture? Like in Atlanta, it's art. Arch- a lot of areas that are intensively zoned seems to be very difficult to include. Uh, a vernacularist
1: approach yeah, I mean, to thinking about our folk or whatever. You know, you know. Everything about our culture you know, is so universalized. And, and, and really what, modern, what the modernists presuppose in the 20s and 30s and even earlier has really come true to a large extent in that we have these incredible transportation systems, these incredible uh, construction systems, you know, a lot of a lot of buildings aesthetically, you know, the kind of things they designed in the '30s in you know, these wonderfully transparent buildings mm-hmm. really couldn't be built until the '90s. Mm-hmm.
0: You know,
1: not really. Mm-hmm. So that the, the technology finally caught up with that that ideal or that idea, and uh, I mean, the forces of capitalism are so universal. I think that our, we we actually are building vernacular architecture for a world that's pretty universal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find it a little bit problematic, and you know, what uh, uh, the, the vernacular. Um, you know, is vernacular writing somebody, a southern writer that writes about how things were in the 50s, in mm-hmm. the south, mm-hmm. or somebody who writes about present-day Atlanta, which may be mm-hmm. fairly generic, but mm-hmm. still writing about the quintessential, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Wolfe wrote about Atlanta in mm-hmm. A Man in Full, and it was quintessentially Atlanta about right.
0: developers, you know, Right, know, right.
1: no one would mistake that for Faulkner.
0: No, I don't think so. But
1: really, it was just as vernacular mm-hmm. as Faulkner is.
0: Let's take a short break here while we... Uh divide this into two sections for folks and we'll come back and talk some more.